Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. Um, in case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh, and I attend our Montrose campus. I normally start off by giving you guys a hard time for being New Yorkers, but I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to go right into the service. I'm going to skip the part where I make you uh, feel a little bit um, embarrassed that you weren't loud enough being New Yorkers. So we're just going to move past that, okay? Um, if you're here with us for the first time, Welcome. We're really glad you're here. Uh, kind of maybe you're here checking us out. Maybe somebody invited you with the um, prospect of a good meal afterwards, and I really hope that it's really delicious. Um, but I'm glad that you're here. Today we're kind of peeling back the curtain, if you will. Uh, we're giving you a little bit of an insight to why we do what we do, and we're using this idea of uh, a house, and we're talking about different rooms. And so, like an open house, we're we're looking at three different rooms. And last week, um, if you're if you were here, you heard us talk about the room or the area of a house called the porch. Now, I know not everybody has a porch, but we all have seen porches, and porches are are an opportunity for you to to check some things out. Um, and today, uh, we're going to look at what our one job is in relation to a room that we're going to look at within the house. Now, our one job, according to Jesus, Jesus' last words that he gave the disciples before he left this earth in Matthew chapter 28 was this, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. We use that as our, our mission as a church. We are to make more and better disciples. I mean, think about that concept. If we were, we being Christians, not necessarily limited to Bridgewater Vestal, but maybe let's pick Bridgewater Vestal here. But if we were able to fulfill that command fully, think about what would be accomplished. In our community, in our area, in our region, if we, as Christ followers, were able to make more and better disciples, we would end some of the greatest afflictions that we know. Things like murder, drug abuse, all those are solved if we're making more and better disciples. Malnourishment, slavery, those are solved if we are making more and better disciples. Because if we're doing that, then there is a multiplication of people who live and act like Jesus did. The greatest needs of the world, the greatest need in your life and in my life, that greatest need is solved within Jesus. Because truly the world needs more Jesus. A community of little Jesuses, if you will, is no crime. It's a community with no gossip, no slander, no hypocrisy. If we are a community of little Jesuses, people who are like Jesus, then we are a community that has the Holy Spirit within us. That, that, that helps us live and love others the way Christ did. That's why our goal as a church, our mission, our, our benchmark that we are striving for is to make more and better disciples. Now, we have three environments in our church 
that help us do that. And again, we're, we're picturing them like a house. The first room that we talked about last week was our porch. I meet strangers on my porch. I'm sure you meet strangers on your porch as well. My porch is also kind of like public property. Some people view it as public property. You know, I live right on New York Avenue, so just on the Pennsylvania side of of New York Avenue. And if you're walking down, headed towards New York, I don't know why you would walk towards New York, but if you are, many people just stop and sit on my porch. That's a place where visitors go, maybe even strangers They visit my porch. The porch of our church is where you're at right now. It's the Sunday morning worship service. Anyone can come. We don't have bouncers at the back checking IDs, checking your your status. You know, we let, ready for this? We let hypocrites in our church Sunday morning. We let people who have issues in our church, we let people who have addictions come and sit in our morning service. There is no age restriction. There's no economic restriction to come and worship with us. Anyone can come. And guess what? You don't even have to believe in Jesus to come and sit here Sunday morning. Anyone can come to our church. That's why we do what we do on Sunday morning. For the most part, this is most people's introduction to our church. Most people come on a Sunday morning and that is their introduction. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would take a guess that most people, you became familiar with our church by coming on a Sunday morning. And our desire as Bridgewater is to make this time irresistible. You know why? Because like we said last week, we can't make anyone believe in Jesus. We can't. Some churches try. We can't. We realize that we can't make anyone believe in Jesus. All we can do is invite them. Invite them with that opportunity. So that's why from the parking lot all the way into the lobby, to the music, to the clothes that we wear, everything we do, our goal is to make it so that Jesus is irresistible. When you look at stories of Jesus, it's interesting how the people who followed Jesus looked nothing like Jesus, right? Jesus even had people following him who hated him. We know that because they crucified him. But why did they follow Jesus? Because there was something about him that was irresistible. So if our church is to be like Jesus, and if, and if you're to be like Jesus, then there should be something about you and something about our church that is irresistible. Last week we talked about our porch. And this morning we're going to talk about what we're calling the living room of our church. We've discovered that you can't imitate and follow Jesus if you stay on the porch. Let me say that again. You can't imitate 
and follow Jesus if all you do is stay on the porch. Now remember, what's the porch? You're at the porch. You can't be an imitator and follower of Jesus if this is your only exposure to Jesus. And for some of us, that's hard to hear. But if all you do is stay on the porch and every, all you do is get a lecture and hear some songs, that's not going to lead you to become more like Christ, to be a more and better disciple of Christ. We need a spiritual family or, or a spiritual community. And that's why we talk about the living room. Because we believe at Bridgewater that life is better connected. You heard, you heard Jess talk about this morning. Life is better connected. The living room, or maybe in your house you don't have a living room. Maybe you can think about it in the terms of a dining room. That's where relationships are built. That's where you talk and laugh with your friends. If someone meets you on the porch of your house and they've never come into your house and experienced your living room, guess what? They're probably not your friend or at least they're not a good friend. If they've never come into your living room, they're not a friend because we invite friends into our living rooms. The living room of our church is our small groups. Small groups is where we build relationships. If all you do is come to the porch, you know what happens if you don't come for a few weeks? Maybe you have an acquaintance. Maybe they notice you're not there. Maybe they notice you missed a couple weeks, but there's always the possibility that you're just sitting on the opposite side of the room. There's the possibility that you went and visited another campus. And so there's not much thought about it. But in our small group ministry, you know what happens if you miss a week? If you miss two weeks, all of a sudden you're getting text messages. Hey, everything all right? Are you okay? Do you need any help? Because that's what relationships do. And that's why when you're a part of a small group, you're going to experience a greater community. We believe that these communities, these relationships are so critical. That's why we have established and, and, and developed these small groups, because we believe that godly biblical friendships and relationships are absolutely vital. And this morning, I want to give you four reasons why they are so vital to you and to me. And we're going to be looking at what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians, if you have a Bible or it's going to be on the screen, you don't have to worry about it. But we're going to be looking through Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. Now, Paul was writing in what is modern-day Turkey to this church in modern-day Turkey. Now, he's writing to church people. So we can take what he says in this letter and we can immediately apply it directly to us because we are, I would assume, church people. So the reason, the first reason that biblical relationships are so critical is that they are rooted in Jesus. All relationships have some sort of commonality. Maybe for you, your relationship developed because of biology. You're related to someone, and that's why your relationship started. Maybe it's geography. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's because of your workplace. Maybe it's, it's someone's relationship is because of who you know and who you sit next to every day. Every relationship begins with a connection. 
And I believe there's no greater connection, there's no greater foundation for a relationship than something that is rooted in Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I I love that phrase that he says in there, being rooted and established in love, or you might say rooted and grounded in love. Now, something that I, I surprise myself even when I think about this is I love to garden. Growing up, I hated gardening, right? Anybody in here hate gardening? Okay, it's, it's mostly young people. Anybody in here love gardening? Yeah, it's mostly us old people. All right, so I love to garden. Now, we bought a piece of property in Halstead, and my property is kind of unique because I am surrounded on three sides by water. My property backs up to the Susquehanna River. On one side, I have a stream that runs right along the border, and on the other side, I have a creek that runs right along the side and borders my property running into the river. What that means is my property is very, very moist. (laughs) And when it rains, we get this, what we call the uh, Lake Edwards in my property. It just kind of fills up with water. Well, we bought this property a couple years ago, and I decided that I wanted to build my garden. And so I marked off 60 by 60. I wasn't messing around. I wanted a garden. And so I marked off 60 by 60. I borrowed a tiller, and I tilled that mud. I'm telling you, I tilled it, and then I planted seeds, and I planted some plants, and you know what happened? I got zero plants. I got zero vegetables. It was a disaster. So the next couple years, I began building some boxes, some raised beds, and I filled it up with mushroom soil, and I planted those same plants, and I planted those same seeds, and you know what happened? Zucchini for days. I'm talking tomatoes as big as my hand. It's just an amazing bounty. One year, mud and, and no harvest. And then short time after, an amazing result, different result. What changed? I planted the same seeds. I planted the same plants. But what changed? Where those seeds and where those plants were rooted. See, where we root things affects the result. So, so our result of being rooted in Jesus is going to affect our relationship. Paul says, I pray you being rooted and established in love. The love of Jesus is the richest possible soil for relationships. Now, can you, some of you are kind of pushing back mentally saying, I can have friendships outside of Jesus, and I believe you can. You absolutely can have friendships, and and arguably good friendships, apart from Jesus. But there's no greater friendship than one who is equally rooted in Jesus alongside of you. Because that's what Paul tells us is a key to a relationship, is being rooted and established in love. The the second 
reason that godly spiritual relationships are so important is they're strengthened through serving. If we jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that so that the bold, they may boldly, the boldness of Christ, the body of Christ, may be built up or strengthened until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, when we read or when we hear the idea of serving, sometimes we're like, oh, great. They're going to tell us they need help in the kids' ministry again. Oh, great. It's another program that we have to step up and serve in. I don't think that that's what this is talking about. I don't believe that this is talking about a program. I believe there's a huge difference between helping out in a program and helping a person. Our goal isn't to provide programs. Our goal as a church is to change people's lives to become more like Jesus. So we are not crazy, huge raving fans of USS Bridgewater. That might be a shock to you. But we are huge raving fans of our kids and the people who, who, who love our kids. These verses, they're, they're not talking about programs at all. I believe they're talking about a believer, a follower of Christ being equipped or enabled to serve people. Not fill a spot. Understand that you can't help problems that you aren't aware of. And you can't be aware of problems in the lives of people you don't know. It's not a surprise that our culture is descending into what many call a friendship recession for decades. This is true of women, but guys, this is more true of us. The percentage of men with six close friends has fallen by 50% since 1990. Men today are five times more likely to say that they don't even have one close friend than they were 30 years ago. Now, there's many reasons out there that, that psychologists and, and, and different anthropologists have decided or, or come to resolution as to why this is, and I'm not here to say why that is, but I do know what the solution to that problem is. The solution is that we have to intentionally schedule out times to be with others and build relationships. Now, in my house, we have a family calendar. And if it is not on the family calendar, guess what? It's not happening. It doesn't happen. We have soccer games and soccer practices and dance. And when, when this kid's working and needs the car to go there, and when this kid's working and needs the car to go there, and we have it all mapped out. And if it's not on the schedule, it doesn't happen. So the solution to the friendship recession is not 
scheduling things out or not being intentional. So are you intentional with your time, scheduling time with other people? A few years ago, my wife and I decided that we weren't going to do a small group. And instead, we were going to invite individual families over to our house for dinner. Sounds like a great idea, right? And for the first two or three weeks, it was awesome. Great conversation, great interaction. And then what happened? Well, it got really hard to schedule things with all kinds of people. And, and our, our intention of, of scheduling out these dinners meant two or three weeks with nobody. And then three or four weeks with no one. And guess what? It doesn't happen anymore. That's the beauty of our small group program. They're already scheduled for you. All you have to do is write it out on the calendar that we are going to go to this small group. It's a, it's a regularly scheduled time around God's word with people who are willing to discuss the things in the life of, that you and, and they are sharing. One of the great things about our living room, and I don't know how your living room is set up, but I'm going to make a guess. I doubt very seriously that you have chairs in rows in your living room, right? Any, no, I'm not going to do it. You don't have chairs in rows in your living room. If, you're like my, if your house is like mine, I've got this monster couch that's kind of like a big giant you, right? Maybe some of you have a couch with chairs on either side. And what does that promote, it promotes interaction. It promotes conversation. A living room is designed for just that. And I think it's amazing. One of the things that I love about Bridgewater, and when I came to Bridgewater about six years ago, I loved that woven through every ministry of Bridgewater is small group. If you go down right now to our kids' ministry, guess what they're doing at some point this morning? They're sitting around in a circle. And if they're really little, they're probably running around in circles. If you come to our, our youth ministry, our craze and our fusion, every craze and fusion night, there is a, an element of small groups. There's nothing more powerful than a godly relationship. And we need them. And they won't just happen. You can't sit here on a Sunday morning saying, I hope somebody comes and talks to me about small groups. I hope somebody comes up and talks to me. Get up and take the initiative. Go out. And I know for some people, that's a big deal. That's a big step to actually take initiative to do those things. So this morning, we try to make it easy for you. At the end of our service, you don't even have to do anything other than leave this room. All right? All you have to do is leave this room, and on your way, subtly pass Pastor Brett. He'll be standing around by the back table. He's a guy wearing a Montrose shirt, um, and, and if you miss Curtis's joke, he's bald. Um, I got it, Curtis. I got it. Um, he'll be back there, and there's some sign-ups for you. All you got to do is put your name down. Now, maybe there's a group that doesn't, none of those groups that are there meet your needs. Pastor Brett. None of these groups meet my needs. Cool. Let's get you signed. Let's start a new group. If one of those groups is not for you, then let's start a new group. Take that initiative because godly spiritual relationships 
are so critical. The third thing that godly spiritual relationships do is they protect each other. Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 4. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, now if you've fallen along here, you notice that Paul's kind of given us all kinds of different metaphors, right? I mean, he, he first starts with a plant, and then he goes to a building, and now he's talking about a storm on a lake or an ocean. And in verse 15, he grow, goes back to the growth of a physical body. There's a lot of different word pictures that Paul gives us, but what is important is that he is talking about the need for protection, I mean, picture what he's saying here. An infant tossed back and forth by the waves. I mean, picture an infant. I saw lots of little kids running around this morning. Picture an infant in a basket in the sea being tossed around. That's scary. That's precarious. That's, that's unnerving, right? That, that image to us is, is something that we don't like. Now, let me put that into what that might look like today. Say there's a new believer and they get a knock on their door, and it's somebody from the Mormon church. And all of a sudden, they start talking about their theology or their beliefs. And that new believer says, man, that sounds pretty good. That sounds, that sounds appealing. Now, if that new believer has no one to come alongside of them, they may be like that infant tossed by this wave. But our role is to come alongside them, and, and as Paul says, to, to protect them by every wind of teaching and every cunning and deceitful way. Our role is to protect those younger people, those, those not just younger people, but those younger believers. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you're new to the faith, and as you leave the parking lot, you hear somebody swear, curse, and if you're here thinking that Christians don't curse, I'm just going to burst your bubble here. <laughs> Some do, okay? You could easily be saying, well, I'm never going back to that church again. But our responsibility in these godly spiritual relationships is to come alongside of them and encourage them with the truth that we find in Scripture. Jesus talks a lot in his ministry about uh, he gave us this picture of a seed falling amongst the thorns. And he talks about the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke out that plant. In that case, in that scenario that Jesus poses for us, the problem is not other people. Instead, Jesus is talking about the problems within ourselves. The problems that we all struggle with. The, the root of bitterness. The root of pride. Those are things that are within us. And Paul tells us that we have to speak the truth in love. Sometimes that means we have to come alongside of them, someone and point out to them in love that they, are struggling, that they have this issue. I have a friend who recently made some really foolish choices. 
right now, he's separated from his family, separated from his kids. He lost his job as a result of these choices. A couple weeks ago, he asked me to go out to lunch with him. And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about his, his new situation, I had two choices. I could come alongside of him and say, just keep your chin up. Things are going to get better. It's not that bad. Or I could do what I felt God wanted me to do. And so I, I sat down with him in love and I told him that what he was doing was sin. And what he was doing was making stupid choice after stupid choice. Now, was that fun for me, do you think? I don't know anyone here who would call themselves a follower of Christ that would find enjoyment in pointing out to someone how they've made foolish, sinful choices. In fact, that evening I was sitting at home and my wife says, are you okay? I was exhausted for days leading up to that. That was just weighing on me. It is not an enjoyable thing, but you know what? Because I care for him, because I feel like God has put me in his life to be a godly spiritual influence in his life, I had to do that because godly spiritual relationships, they protect each other. In my garden, one of the reasons that my garden is successful this year is I also put up a big giant fence around it. That fence keeps out deer. Deer eat anything. Deer eat, like in case you were thinking they only eat delicious things, no. They eat like thorns and all kinds of nonsense. It keeps out the deer. It keeps out the rabbits, the chipmunks, and in my house, the chickens. That fence provides protection for that thing that I am working so hard to develop. In our lives, in our relationships, we have to put up barriers, guardrails, because it is so vital to the success of our relationship. When we're in these relationships, often, you'll, if you've been in a really, really intimate friendship with someone, talking like a David and Jonathan type relationship where you just, you share each other's souls, you, you share your concerns, there's some element to hiding, in our lives, we hide things. And I'm really glad that we're all clothed this morning and we're all hiding certain things, right? Uh, hiding things is, is valuable in some instance. So when you're standing in line at the Walmart, you don't need to be telling the person in front of you all of your deepest, darkest sins. That's not going to be beneficial. But in a relationship, you're sharing your needs. You're, sharing, you're letting someone into your life. That is why a relationship is so, a godly spiritual relationship is so vital. The fourth thing that makes a godly spiritual relationship so important, and this is limited, I believe, to godly relationships. The fourth thing is this, that they multiply. Godly spiritual relationships multiply. Paul says in verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Everything healthy grows. I am not growing anymore. That's because I'm not healthy. 
In fact, I'm dying. The doctors give me about 40 more years of life. They'll get it. Curse, they're a little slow this morning. It's okay. It's not morbid. It's not even pessimistic. It's just reality. Because I'm at a place where I am no longer growing. I am not developing anymore. I I am done with growth and development. But what's amazing is when a new baby is conceived, from the time their conception until the time of their birth, they grow over a billion times their size. My son, who's entering the 10th grade, he's in the 10th grade now, he weighs 20 times more now than he does when he was born. He's almost as tall as I am. It's, it's kind of amazing to see that growth, to see that multiplication. Godly spiritual relationships, they multiply. A few years ago, my wife and I started a small group, and our first night, we just put it out there. Hey, we're having a small group. I don't even know that we had a sign up because if we had a sign up, I probably would have changed some things. Our first night, we had 25 adults and 25 little people running around my house. Now, if you've been to my house, my house cannot sustain 50 additional people in it. So that first, it was, it was actually great. I was doing like an intro. I couldn't even fit everybody in the living room. We had to do it in two shifts. So we did shift one. We told them about it. Then they left. And then we did shift two. So the next week we decided, no, no, we can't do that anymore. We're going to separate. So we divided our group into two groups. Picked a pretty even number. The second night at my group, we had 18 adults and 20 kids. And in this group, we had 17 adults, and I think it was like 18 or 19 kids. And we decided at that, that's still too big, so we're going to divide again. That's not addition. If you were doing the math there, that's multiplication. Godly spiritual relationships, they multiply. They continue to grow and develop more relationships. One of, the, one of the areas of ministry that I have right now in my life is I go around to smaller churches and I kind of provide pulpit supply. And many of these churches have what I call the us for and no more mentality. They're very content with just a few people. They're very content with just being and doing things the way that they have always done them. If growth happens by happenstance, they're okay with it, but they're certainly not going to seek it out. The difference between that mentality and what I find in Scripture is God says that when we do, when we fulfill this responsibility to develop each other, to care for each other and grow these spiritual relationships, you know what happens? Multiplication happens because you have become irresistible. You begin inviting people to your small group. You've got to come to my small group. What's a small group? It's just a bunch of people getting together talking about life. And all of a sudden, your space gets too big. Pastor Brett, my living room can't hold anymore. What do I do? That's the best problem he's going to face all day. My living room isn't big enough for all these people who want to hear about God. What do I do? Godly spiritual relationships multiply. Jesus' mission for us is to make more and better disciples. That doesn't happen by teaching or sitting in a lecture. That doesn't happen. Some people would argue that, that you're being discipled right now. I would argue against that. Godly spiritual relationships is the key to making more and better 
disciples. It doesn't happen by passively sitting back, hoping someone reaches out to you. It happens by you taking initiative and you going. This is the solution to every one of the world's greatest problems. This is the solution to every problem that is facing right now in the Vestal area. The solution is making more and better disciples. It's not spending more money, providing more education, or dedicating more time to those problems. No, it's making more and better disciples. This is a great opportunity for you. This is a great opportunity for me to jump in, become a part of that solution, because that's the way that we are going to make more and better disciples together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us this great challenge. God, and it's, it is that. It's a challenge. It's not something that's easy. It's not something that we take lightly. God, but it is an opportunity for us to, to provide an, an atmosphere for that to happen. God, we, we long as a church to see more people come to know you. We long as a church to be more like you ourselves. And God, the best way to do that, as we see from your word, is to grow relationships with each other. God, to build each other up, to protect each other, to care for each other. God, and ultimately when we do that, we will not only become more like you, but we will point other people to you. God, this morning, if there are people here who are Thinking about becoming a small group, God, being in a small group, God, I ask that you would just give them that last bit of incentive, God, that last bit of challenge, that courage to go back, put their name on a piece of paper, put it on their calendar, and then become a part of the solution. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.